book of Colossians, uh, chapter 3. A good way to remember where this is. General Electric Power Company. All right, in your Bibles, in the New Testament, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You'll never forget that. General Electric Power Company. All right, so Colossians is in your New Testament, so it'll be towards the back of your Bible. And I'm going to read in chapter 3 this morning, picking up in verses 12, uh, and we will conclude with verse 17. And uh, I want to answer the question this morning, what happens when we gather? What happens when we gather? And by we, I mean the people of God, on a Sunday morning, or on a Wednesday night, or through the week. Um, There are things that take place on a Sunday morning that maybe are unique to Sunday morning, Uh, but we are people who gather. And why do we gather, and what happens when we gather are things that we, the people of God, need to um, not only be aware of, uh, but it ought to inspire our commitments. And so this morning I ask you to read with me, follow along. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, we'll have one on the screen. Starting in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. These are not my words, these are God's words. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And may God add a blessing to his word this morning as you hear it in in the company uh, of the redeemed. Let me pray for our time together. Father, um, we need what you give this morning. I know that in this place, a face can tell a story, but sometimes that story is not the full picture. And as I look around this room and I see people that I love and care for, I know that their hearts are heavy. I know that they are potentially disturbed uh, with circumstances that uh, occur in their lives and in the lives of others for whom they care. I know that people in this room and those who watch online may be confused, they may be discouraged, they may be downright depressed. Anxiety is on a high, if it ever was. Um, And Lord, we are not here wasting our time. And so we ask in your name, Jesus, that you minister to us, because that's what we need. 
We need you to be with us here. Not Michael's words, not a program, but the person of Jesus in our midst, operating through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question, what happens when we gather as the church, the people of God, bought with the precious blood of Christ? To summarize, if there's a sermon summary, it would be this. As we gather, we receive from Christ all that is needed for gospel ministry. This ministry advances in word and in deed as we await the return of Christ. Now, I see this in our text this morning. I see from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, that this is what happens when the people of God gather. Let me state it again. As we gather, we receive from Christ. We receive from Christ this morning all that is needed for gospel ministry. And that gospel ministry is detailed. There's nuts and bolts to that gospel ministry. But broadly speaking, this ministry moves forward in word and deed. How long? Until Jesus comes back. As long as it is called today, as one of the writers of the Scripture says, inspired of God. And I want to unpack this uh, with two points, and then a lot of sub-points, you know, because two points, uh, you know better. I can't get you out of here in five minutes. Um, but number one is this. As we gather, we participate as citizens of the coming kingdom, which is everlasting. As we see in verses 12 through 15, we're to put on, as the people of God, a host of virtues that are only... They're only logical based on what God has already done for us and in us. Because what God has done for us and in us, he intends to do through us. Yeah? So, has there ever been a time in your life where it has been more appropriate to um, solidify, solidify, um, tongue twist there, or clarify why the church gathers or what happens when we gather. Um, I realize a global pandemic has all of us, some in larger degree than others, um, it has caused us to question our confidence in humanity. You could chuckle there. Um, For a host of reasons, right? Um, But what if even a global pandemic is a thing that God uses in his hands? Not that he authored the COVID pandemic, but that in his hands, a cursed creation, God can show us that in all our disappointment, all our disgust, that we have a no-disappointment Savior. We have a Savior who does not disappoint, but, that, but, but delivers in every way. We have a King who is Christ, and he is enough. Could it be 
that even a global pandemic exposes a greater need for not circumstances to be as, as they may be in our own minds, as they should be, but that what we need most is a king, a Christ, a savior, a sustainer, a God who is with us. Paul, as he writes to the, to the, uh, the church, it is, a, it is a church, it is a gathered people, just as we are this morning. Um, he reinforces these Christians, their identity. And I talk often of identity because I see God speaking often of identity. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved or beloved. Did you know if you trust Jesus Christ this morning, you are the object of God's affection? Think about that just for a moment. If you, if you trust Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his present intercession, and his return, then you, right now, are the object of God's love. His unfailing, interrupted love. Always, now, and forever. Is that good news? In the midst of all that's not so good news? Why do we do this every week? Why do we come? Why are you here? Because... For one, you're forgetful, and you're sinful. And your sinful condition, and mine, because I'm preaching to me as well, is bent towards earning. Your sinful condition is bent towards earning. Earning favor with God, earning God's love and affection, earning his approval, and doing that very same thing with all people everywhere that you interact with. Are you tracking with me? Do you do that? Am I alone? The call from Christ, as we hear this morning in Colossians, is to get dressed. Get dressed. You got out of, the, out of bed this morning and you got dressed and you came to church. But you're to get dressed in the new clothes that Christ has purchased for you. Do you, do you realize that? If we look earlier in the passage, we see... In chapter 3, verse 1, if then, if you trust Christ, if you are a believer, if you are blood-bought, then you have been raised with Christ. The most important thing about you is not what your feet on the ground. It's the fact that you're really a citizen of another kingdom, another community. But that community has its expression here on the ground. So we're not, we, we are not um, Christians who uh, are bought into an evacuation theology, right? We evacuate. We trust Christ and then we evacuate this life, right? That there's coming a day when Jesus returns and we get to evacuate the sin-cursed creation. But until then, we are amidst a community of a new creation, a new kingdom... And we get to live 
out who we are with how we are. And that is a crucial, crucial connection. Because we're not spiritually dead but raised to life, we need not walk around undressed. That'd be spooky if anyone came in, in here undressed, right? But we do it often by not putting on who we already are in the practical matters of life, in the way that we speak to one another, in the way that we listen to one another, in the way that we care for one another, in the way that we come and gather with one another. His robes of righteousness, not our rags. That is who we are. Does it inform how we are? Um, We do this every week because our soul hungers for what only God can satisfy. The songs intend to reconnect you to that reality that we just, that is ever present in your life. It is not your rags of unrighteousness, but it is the new clothes of Christ and his righteousness. Not because of your works, but because of his. So how do we participate? I want to, I want to, everyone, not just you and I, but everyone, all of mankind, young and old and everything in between, gets, gets this, this reality that identity is everything, right? Social media is built on enhancing your identity or distracting you from your identity or adding to your identity or accessorizing your identity. Everyone gets this. Disney gets this better than most, but they don't know why they get it. They, they, they are scratching on something that they haven't found the bottom because they're not, for one, it's a corporation. But how, what do I mean by this? Who likes Lion King? It's one of the greatest, in my personal opinion. Remember who you are. Now, I didn't, it, the, the Earl Jones voice, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't able to pull that one off, but um, remember who you are. Disney gets that. The whole thrust of the film is remember who you are. Because if you remember who you are, then it will affect what you do. You also, I mean, they just keep repeating themselves. Moana, you know who you are. Yeah? The song, I'm not going to sing it. But you, those of you who are Disney fans in here, you can hear it. You, you heard the tune. You know who you are. And that's a dramatic moment. And it touches on something in our hearts because it is true. There's truth embedded in that statement. You know who you are, but have you forgotten? So is there, there, how do we participate as we gather? Well, we put off and we put on. Earlier in chapter 3, As it comes to us, Paul says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then he goes on to say, because this is so, put to death what is earthly in you. And then he gets real specific. Put to death what is earthly in you. It's already been put to death by being nailed to a cross, but in the practical matters of life, in 
not just your doctrine, what the scriptures teach, but in your devotion, in your life application, where you really live, not in a classroom, but in hard knocks, you apply, you devote yourself to what God has done for you. So there's a spirit of undeserving, and we need to walk in that, rather than a spirit of earning that we tend to relapse and come back to. What do we put off? Well, in some, we put off self-service. That's what all gas stations are now, right? They're self-service. Do it yourself, right? We're not going to do anything for free around here, right? Somebody's got to be paid. Well, you do it yourself. Self-service. But what do we do? We, we live by nature to self-satisfy, right? And the core of what Paul says is get rid of that. Because in, in reality, you're done with that. That's not who you are anymore. So you don't have to be all about you. There's something far greater than being all about you and, and, and lost in your own head. And it's about me, 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 me. We've heard this before. What happens when we gather is we choose we over me. We, when, when you came here this morning, you are choosing we over me. Because me would have stayed in bed this morning. Me would have had a big breakfast this morning. Me would have had other plans this morning. Me, and you can have your own list. Notice that all the virtues put on then as God's chosen ones, compassion, kindness, patience. Notice that all of these sorry, it's getting uncomfortable. Notice that all of these assume a community. For how can you be patient? unless there's someone on the receiving end of patience. How can you be kind unless that assumes that Jesus and a Bible and you alone is not the point of Christianity? We're here so that you can put on kindness towards one another, patience towards one another. And it gets a little uglier than that because those sound nice. But what does it say if you have a complaint? What do you do with that complaint? File it, right? I've got a grievance with you, pastor. If you have a complaint, you are to forgive. Why? Because you've been forgiven. Why do you forgive? Because it's who you are. Forgiven people forgive people. It is actually nonsensical, antithetical, hypocritical for us to not forgive. Now I know your blood pressure starts rising when I say such things. But again, I'm just a messenger. I didn't say this. I want to be faithful to what God said. 
And what God says is, forgive when you feel like it. No. What does he say? Look at Colossians. Look at what Paul says. He says, you must forgive. Forgiveness is not an option for the people of God. But it's hard. But you don't know what they did. You don't know the situation. I was betrayed. So was Christ. Yeah, but. Yeah, I've got those too. I've got the yeah, buts as well. Maybe forgiveness is one thing that you cannot do. Does God ever call us to do something that we cannot do? Absolutely. Caveat, without the Holy Spirit, you cannot forgive. Maybe forgiveness is so hard because you actually need the Holy Spirit for once. It's not something that you can do. Maybe we are here because we need something that we don't have apart from God. We can't whip up forgiveness. We can't conjure it up. We can't will it on our own effort and in our own sweat. We have to receive forgiveness so that we can then extend it. And maybe our lack of forgiveness is actually further exposure to the fact that we have neglected maybe for a duration of time, to deal with our own sin or to even see it for that matter. Maybe our reluctance to forgive is the fact that, well, we've actually grown somewhat oblivious to the fact that we've got tons of sin in our own lives that other people um, are in the position to forgive us for, but primarily God has already forgiven us. And it's what enables us and empowers us to forgive others. Do you have a robust understanding of forgiveness that you have been forgiven is that old news or is that ongoing news for you old news I was saved when I was a child so in your mind you were forgiven back then what about now what about today What about your thoughts? What about your words? What about your deeds in the present time? I'll say it again. Our refusal to forgive is nonsensical. It is antithetical. And you may just need the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive. No, you do need the Holy Spirit. We don't come to church. Why do we gather? We don't come to church to to be beaten and bruised. Some of you love it when the pastor gets all red-faced, screams at you, slobbers the spits back in the midsection there with the beelins. And that was a good one. My, my toes are bleeding, preacher. We don't come to church to get beaten and bruised and walk out of here going, man, that, I feel like a real sinner today. We also don't come to get a pet talk. To go accomplish our dreams. You you don't come in here, we don't come in here as the people of God to hear a TED talk. We gather to get real before God. And if we're real with God, it frees us to be real 
with others, with one another. Because what does the text say? Forgiving each other. One another, one another, one another. But when we create church or the experience or the event of entertainment in our own image rather than the one that God has given, where he is captain, where he is king, then we are not transformed. We are not being renewed in the image of our creator as God intends. So as we gather, we participate in the in this coming kingdom that we are already citizens of. And it's not just a temporary kingdom, it's an everlasting kingdom. Get ready, get, get prepared. Right now, we are to do what we will be doing into forever. One pastor said, what, what you're doing right now, is it going to matter a million years from now? Then reconsider it. If you're investing in it so much, is it going to matter a million years from now? If you're losing sleep over it, is it going to matter a million years from now? If you're throwing money at it, is it going to matter in a million years from now? Number two, as we gather, we grow in godliness. How so? By giving and receiving the words of Christ. By giving and receiving the words of Christ. Did you, did you catch that? What we receive, we give. And what we give, we receive. It's a cycle. Rinse, repeat. Simultaneously, you and I, when we gather, we are here to consume and we are here to contribute. Don't let anybody tell you that Christianity is not about consumption because it is. But it's not only about consumption because you need to consume the mercy that is new every morning, right? You need to consume that. You need that. As Mark said earlier during the offering time, God, I need you every day is the song that we sung. But were, were those just words exiting your mouth or your lips were so parsed that you, you, you were just, you're just here, right? It, it meant very little, if anything, to you. But this is not an event of entertainment. This is not just a program for your pleasure, but the grace of God and his kindness that is intended to do what? Lead you and I to repentance, to a change of mind about our sin and about obedience and about God's ways that they're actually best for us, not a hindrance to us. It's in this hour even that we receive training for gospel ministry to do one another, to, to one another each other, right? That is, that is gospel ministry. Um, and Jesus is the truth. So by virtue of Jesus is the truth, all his words are true, and they are our highest authority, and they are our source of wisdom, and the wisdom that we receive, we express to one another, and the wisdom that we receive exposes error, exposes lies that we are so tempted to believe about ourselves, about others, about the world, about God, about where this is all going and what my part is to play. And when Paul wrote this letter to an actual church that was meeting in an actual location, 
actual people, flesh and blood, did he mean the letters in red when he says the words of Christ? People on Facebook are like, man, I'm glad he moved that microphone. I need a piece of tape. We'll get that next time. Hold it in place. When Paul wrote to these particular people, and God intends for it to come to you as well, and me, was he only referring to words of Christ, those letters in red? Yes or no? No. Not just the the words in red. Why? Well, they, they weren't written, for one. They weren't collected. This Bible that I carry and that you brought in or that's on your phone this morning was not a thing. There was a tradition of oral response and reading. I had an Old Testament Bible. But for two reasons. It wasn't just the words of Christ, as in, this is what Jesus said. First is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures breathed out by God. All of it. All of it. And it's all profitable. It's all beneficial. Some of it more beneficial than others, but all of it beneficial. And John 5.39. May it not be true of us that we fall into this category. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Jesus says, I own the words of Old and New Testament. We tend to make a hard line distinction between the two, and that has a place. But in Luke 24, Jesus says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in his hearing all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Later on in the same chapter, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the Psalms and the prophets must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you understand that the scriptures are actually about Jesus? They're not primarily about behavior, about being good or avoiding bad Remember, not about a spirit of earning, but a spirit of undeserving. I want want you to ask yourself this morning, does God's work, his word rather, does does it come to you on its way to someone else? Does it work through me in ministry to others? It can't stop and it won't stop with you or me. That is not what God intends to do. You do not come here to take a class and then leave and experience a data dump. If it does stop with you, then we've missed the point. We have a great responsibility. I have a great responsibility to obey what 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 says. What you've heard from me, this is Paul speaking to his apprentice, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Again, assuming a gathering, a collective group of people in real time and space. And I'll add, you can't see a universal church, right? There is such a thing. All Christians, all time, everywhere. 
But there's a church, Big Branch Church, just as there was the church of which a man named Timothy was an elder, a pastor, a teacher. He says, what you've heard from me and seen in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men and women. Who will do what? Be able to teach others also. Are you able to teach others also? Do you realize you have a responsibility to teach others also? Because again, what does it say? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then why? Because it doesn't stop with you. You're to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And then it doesn't stop with the sermon. Let's talk about the sermon. Let's talk about the song. The sermon. It's not advice. I already said it's not a TED Talk. It's not self-help. It's a declaration of this is what God says and this is why it matters. This is what God says, so what? 2 Timothy 3.16, who, whom most of us have heard, all scriptures breathed out by God, we just heard it a moment ago, that the man or woman of God may be equipped for every good work. And just so you know, good work is still good work. Good work today is still good work. And so on its way, the sermon even this morning, on its way to you, is then to go through you in good work to others. Every sermon, as we heard Wednesday night in our teaching, every sermon in some way can answer these four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who are you? And how will you live? In some way, every sermon, every proclamation of God's word ought to answer those four questions. Who is God? Who are you? Rather, what has he done? Who are you? And then how will you live? How about the song? Why do we sing? Because that's what churches do. That's what Christians do. Because that's how it is. Don't ask questions. No, ask questions. Why do we sing? Because we're told to sing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not just teaching it, but also singing it in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Because I think there's a stickiness to song that God has given by design. Would you agree? There's a stickiness to song. That, I, think, I think we need to remind ourselves how essential it is, the things that bounce around in our minds that we rehearse, that we repeat again and again and again. I don't want to get legalistic about this, for sure, because some of you have been there. But what you hear, why we sing, is vital. In Bible college, I had to learn the Greek alphabet. I couldn't do it until I started singing it because I could remember it. I could retain it. And song has the ability in God's hands to transport you to a time and a place, right, where he's been faithful, where he's ministered to you, where he's carried you, where he has been who he says he is in your life. Because what we repeat in our minds matters a great deal. And so our songs need to be faithful to God's word. They need to help us have Christ's words dwell richly in our hearts, not just kind of partially in our hearts or, you know, just somewhat occupy like a little teeny spot of our hearts. 
but simple, simple faithful. Our songs, even by choice, we, we, the songs that we have up here and from here are on purpose. They need to, be, they need to lend themselves to congregational singing. If, if we sing songs that you guys can't sing, then what are we doing? You need to be able to sing because, believe it or not, what are we here? Was, was this singing and, and was it a suggestion? Look back to the text. Was singing just something you might do? No, it marks the people of God. We have a song to sing. And so some of us, we don't sing for reasons that God hasn't given us not to sing. Some of us don't realize that our choice to sing is to God, but also for others. Do you realize when you choose to sing, do you realize when I look to you, and I'm not looking to you to inspect you, I'm looking to you because you are my brother, you are my sister, and I want to be edified, and I want to to know that we're singing this together because this is not a solo project. And no, you won't like every song. I don't like every song. I don't like every sermon. I don't like every meal that I eat. I don't remember every meal that I eat. I don't remember every song that I sing. I don't remember every sermon I hear. Nor will you. But God uses these to do what? To equip us for ministry. To love one another, to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, to put on kindness and compassion. So ask yourself, when you sing, do you join from the heart? Do you not sing because you have not realized the significance of song among God's people? The Sunday service order and the elements of, that constitutes a service. Some churches call it a liturgy. You ever heard that? Sounds kind of old school, but it needs to be it needs to be renewed, needs to be redeemed, needs to be a realization that you have one, whether you use the word or not. We make a conscious decision to sing this, don't do this, don't do that. It's on purpose. That the word of Christ would be not one among many things, right? That the word of Christ would be the thing that drenches our time together. That everything is wet with the word of Christ. For how else will his word dwell richly among us if it's just an afterthought? So let me remind you as I close. As we gather, we receive from Christ all that is needed for gospel ministry. This ministry advances in love through word and deed as we await the return of Christ. What, whatever you do, in word and deed, Paul says, that gives you a whole lot of room to play. Whatever you do, in word and deed. Because notice, that is what we do, isn't it? How do we spend our time? We speak and we act. And that all comes as a result of what we think and how we feel. I'm going to rapid-fire some application. Then I'm going to close in a time of prayer and response. Will you confess this morning your exhaustion before God 
for laboring for that which he died to freely forgive you of. Because we're reminded this morning to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, our identity to inform our activity. Will you, will you take your complaints and consider them in light of those that were nailed upon a cross upon the shoulders of Christ? Are you actively listening to the sermon? Are you asking yourself who you might share Christ with in this place and in this space between Monday and our return? Are you making intentional effort? Am I making intentional effort? effort as we gather and then scatter to be a vessel filled with the words of Jesus, filled, Bible-saturated. In what ways, as we heard last week? Uncomfortable, and yet we all know where this lands. In what ways have we leveraged COVID as an excuse for lack of obedience to the clear commands of Christ? Will you commit to sing with your brothers and sisters? Realizing it's not just for your consumption, but for the blessing of others as it reinforces the word within our hearts as a community, because this is, again, not about me, it's about we. And finally, if you're here this morning, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all, because you have yet to come to Christ to be freed from your sin be freed from your guilt and your shame and to be given a new identity that you can live for more than yourself. If you would stand with me, I want to pray for us. I want to ask you to respond to this message this morning as the Holy Spirit places it in your heart, in your mind, and in your heart. My prayer is that it affects your hands this week and what you do and what you don't do and how you spend your time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for Big Branch Church. I thank you for your word and how it is beneficial to train us, to correct us, to expose who we are and who we need. Help us to, to obey. Help us to be caught up in your love so much so that we cannot be the same as we were. I pray for these people that are here and those that are not. The pain, the heartache, the confusion, the lack of forgiveness. God, that it would be confronted with good news that things change on account of the fact that we serve a living God who reigns and who works in the upside down things of life in ways that we never would. God, if this book were written by men, we would change it. We would edit it. We would, it's not. It's from you and thank you for it that we've received it this morning. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to give you that invitation this morning. 
It's actually coming from God, not from me. Jesus Christ is God. He's the Father's Son. And He comes, and He lives, and He dies in your place for your sin, for your rejection of God and His ownership of you. And if you will receive Him, the free gift is yours to receive by faith, by trust. You can call on His name even now. For today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of rescue, redemption. If you don't know Jesus, would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I do not know Jesus Christ. I know about him, but I do not know him. Anyone? Father, as we sing, minister to us and through us that we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him.